0: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Do you know what the difference between a chickpea and a lentil is? Mm. Tell us. Donald Trump never paid to see a lentil. Republican investigations fizzling, no crisis at the border yet, and maybe a crisis being averted when it comes to the debt ceiling. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable. We're part of the Beyond Politics podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube, joined as always by former Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant Alicia Preston. We are fresh off the news of the release of the Durham report. This was once upon a time, a big story in American politics that's gone a little bit sideways, and yet the final report that came out yesterday still managed to generate a whole bunch of headlines. I'm just gonna not set this up too much for listeners who haven't been following along the saga. Let's leave that. I wanna go straight to reactions to this entire saga. Paul Hodes, I know you've been keeping a little bit of side eye on this, or maybe casting a little bit of side eye on it. What was your reaction to the end of this four-year-plus investigation from Special Counsel John Durham?
1: Oh my, I I hate to trumpet Trump. This was a Republican witch hunt designed to discredit the probe into the connections between Trump and Russia and the interference in the election and the allegation that the FBI was politically motivated to do bad things to Donald Trump was the subject of the special counsel's investigation. And in the end, the special prosecutor, Mr. Durham, brought uh, three criminal charges. Two two of the defendants were acquitted, found not guilty. The third defendant, who apparently made a mistake in an application, was guilty but received no jail time. And the report fizzled. There was no criminal conspiracy at the FBI that was politically motivated to do bad things. And the special prosecutor essentially concluded that he didn't like the way things were done by the FBI, and he proposed some changes to the way Surveillance and investigations happen. But in the end, it's a big nothing burger for the. I hate that
0: term. Nothing burger. Yeah, what is the origin? Could we have a quick have discourse no on the etymology of the term nothing? Bur- you know what, Alicia, I'm going to let you weigh in on the Durham question, and well, while no, you do I this,
1: nothing burger is much more important than the Durham question. It's I do too, I'm, actually. No, I'm
0: going to I'm going to research while Alicia filibuster. Oh, What's your reaction? What's your reaction on Durham? Is it the biggest waste of time in American history, or what? Since
2: I'm not Donald Trump, I'm not going to make anything the biggest ever in history like he does with absolutely everything.
1: <laughs> biggest nothing burger <laughs>
2: ever. I don't know if it's nothing burger because we're waiting to find out what nothing burger actually means other than in common colloquial use. Look, I mean, it was critical of the FBI, not in a criminal manner, It didn't say anything that it raised to the point of the FBI doing anything criminal, but it says they didn't cross their T's and dot their I's. And that's probably legitimate. That being said, the person doing the investigation is a political pointy appointed to investigate someone within his own party. So regardless of what it says, I'm always going to be a little wary. And that happens back and forth on both sides when they're doing internal, these kind of investigations on themselves. So I don't know. The FBI probably was a little biased. Then again, how can you not be biased against Donald Trump? It's really hard.
0: I'm going to tease us. I have the answer on nothing, burger. I just want to say that there is so much evidence in the wake of the recent arrest of Charles McGonigal, who was the head of the FBI office that was in charge of looking into counterintelligence, basically trying to stop the Russians from messing with us that actually, if anything, the FBI was biased in the other direction. They have a long history of being in cahoots with Donald Trump. And it was a cabal of FBI officials in that New York office overseen by Charles McGonigal that stepped in and blackmailed then FBI Director James Comey into releasing the Hillary Clinton emails, which upon analysis has been shown to be the definitive factor that probably tilted the election to Donald Trump. The bottom line is the FBI was biased, and the evidence shows that they were biased in favor of Donald Trump. That's no. All the th-
2: evidence shows the New York office and the McGonagall guy was absolutely true. I do not think Chris Ray and the FBI in Washington D.C. were biased toward uh, Donald Trump. I'm not saying they were
0: biased well, Chris toward Wray Hillary was,
2: Clinton. Th- I know he's a Trump appointee, but he certainly was not like his oh, cheerleader. D-
0: but just to be clear, just to be clear, Chris Ray was the appointee of Donald Trump so later. Right. Yes.
2: No, I'm aware of that, but he certainly has shown no sign of being biased toward Donald Trump and has been roundly criticized by Republicans right, for not right. being so.
0: Yes, we are talking yes, I agree. We're, no, we're talking about the time frame in which Donald Trump was running for president. And we've established, including by having investigative journalists on the show, that there's a long history of one of Donald Trump's biggest cheerleaders in the media was a longtime head of the New York office of the FBI. He goes on Fox News regularly to talk about how great Donald Trump, is. and there is a long cozy relationship. Donald Trump was probably a sometime it's called a pocket witness, a pocket source for the FBI, and in turn, is that turn, the same thing as a traitor? Yeah. Yes, because they they basically gave a wink and a nod to him laundering money for the Russian mob. again, this, these are well-established patterns of behavior. So anyway, my point here is this: treacherous um, Russian mole We have to remember when it comes to the Durham probe that it comes out of a time when Bill Barr, before he recanted and decided to turn against Donald Trump and try and rehabilitate himself, was still trying to clean up. And cover for Donald Trump, which is why he issued this misleading four page summary of the Mueller report and said, oh, you know, it, it completely exonerates him, which was not true at all. It found no obstruction, not true at all. And then he launched this really dicey investigation into the origins of the Russia investigation. As Paul just outlined, Durham found nothing, he found nothing, nothing.
2: Let me just He you, said he found nothing criminal. He said he found I'll call it my word is misbehavior in the FBI. Whether we like value it. his opinion or not, he didn't Well, just, oh, he,
0: he says that, but actually I, can, Alicia, can I you're raising a really important point, which is what he essentially did was after he found no criminal wrongdoing, he then goes on to basically issue an inspector general's report. Every federal agency has an inspector general. That's an internal watchdog that's supposed to investigate wrongdoing and keep a lid on misbehavior. There is an inspector general, a Republican appointed inspector general in the Department of Justice, a guy named Michael Horowitz. He already issued a report, an inspector general's report that exhaustively documented everything that went on at the FBI around this investigation of Donald Trump and found no political motivation and found that the investigation into Donald Trump and his connections with Russia was properly opened, that it was open on the basis of reasonable intelligence. And all of these insinuations from Donald Trump that there was some kind of wrongdoing at the FBI were total horse crap. And moreover, Trump's entire theory about like, oh, this was just all cooked up for politics by Democrats. He actually sued Democrats and Hillary Clinton over this. And the judge not only laughed him out of court, but fined Donald Trump a million dollars. Paul, would you like to do the honors on the Dr. Evil version of that? One million. Thank you, Dr. Evil. One million dollars for coming up with a frivolous, bogus claim. And so this entire thing, has been completely debunked, and yet, and this drives me crazy, all the headlines yesterday from the mainstream media were all about what you just said, Alicia, that, well, he finds that there were serious problems at the FBI. Who gives a fuck what John Durham thinks at this point, because he's completely beclowned himself in a political put-up job. I Thank
1: like you. that, the clowned, the clowned with a nothing burger.
0: Oh, can we back, back to nothing you? burger? Yeah. Okay, let me report back to you on the nothing burger incident. We're going to call it nothing burger gate. Okay, nothing burger is a term used to describe a situation that receives a lot of attention, but which upon closer examination would reveal to be of little to no real significance. Perfect, perfect for the Durham report. The term nothing burger was first coined in the 1950s by Luella Parsons and has a history of use in American political circles, especially within the Washington, DC Beltway. It reached its peak usage, especially among United States political circles, in the late 2010s. In 2017, US Senator Ted Cruz, uh-oh, now I can't use it again because it's uh-huh. a Ted Cruzism, yes, used the word in response to questions around US Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The Oxford English Dictionary was reported to have added Nothing Burger as a valid word to its dictionary as recently as 2018. So there you go, Nothing Burger. But it doesn't tell
2: me what the columnist's motive for use of the word
0: was. Burger refers not to the absence of condiments and other fixings. It refers to the absence of meat. It's like an old, (laughs) where's the beef?
1: It's a bun. It's It's a a bun bun. with nothing in it.
0: you okay. can really date yourself with, with being able to reference old ads. Like I just did. Where's the, yeah, beef? where's the beef? I just did. Give me a you cheese be- with nothing. Does anyone yeah, remember that one? Old. You're old I'm now. Old. What's okay. a cheese what you-
2: with nothing? Is that like a grilled cheese?
0: That was for polio string cheese. You, oh, you can get string cheese when your kids are of a certain age where they like this. And it's just mozzarella cheese. And, it's, and it was, the idea was and a you, I
2: remember those for the kids. Well, yeah, yeah, and you
0: go into a pizza place and the ad campaign was, hey, give me a cheese with nothing. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on.
1: There is one thing I will say about the Durham report. there is some fallout from it. And the fallout is this. One of the things he dug into was theoretically, the FBI's use of Section 702 Surveillance Authority. And although he did not mention it particularly, section 702 was used by the FBI to in, in, during the course of its investigation. The Republicans have seized on this 702 surveillance authority. And it seems likely, even in an era when we are dealing with hostile terror groups, foreign and domestic, that the Republican-led House may uh, take action to do away with or not renew the FBI's surveillance authority under Section 2 as a way, frankly, of validating Durham's report by saying, he's shown that the misuse of this is that, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to do away with the FBI's ability under Section 702 to use that for surveillance authority. That repercussion may... Next, next time we're on this, on, on our podcast in a year or so, and we've had some surveillance dis- intelligence disaster because the FBI can't sur- do its job under 702, we may all say, oh, there it was, that had its origin back in the Durham report. The Republicans got rid of it because no, they don't like the FBI.
2: Yeah, getting rid of the ability for the FBI to conduct surveillance is completely asinine. However, I think the portion you're talking about is where... The FBI had already debunked the dossier and yet went to judges to use the dossier as a way to get warrants. That is a mistake. That's a flaw in the FBI. That is a bias in the FBI. That does not take away the the ability of the FBI to protect America level crime. But that is a misuse of
0: evidence before a judge. It's an interesting point, by the way, Alicia, that you're raising about the connection to the Steele dossier, because this has been the longstanding conspiracy theory, which is they opened this investigation just because of this phony put-up job with the Steele dossier. It's evil. And somehow Democrats were behind it because, okay, let's just, let me just cut through this because people may have heard dribs and drabs of it. Every campaign does what's called opposition research, where you look up everything you can possibly find about your opponent. Democrats in the Hillary Clinton campaign commissioned Christopher Steele to do some opposition research. He got a little handsy with it. He went a little overboard and he threw in every last rumor he could find. Now,
2: including of hookers peeing on Donald Trump in
1: Russia or something. We have pee-pee tapes.
0: <laughs> By the way, do you know what the difference between a chickpea and a lentil is? Mm. Tell us. Donald Trump never paid to see a lentil.
2: I'm and, actually going to use that one. Oh, uh, I was going to make soup for dinner tonight and you've just ruined that. So ruined
0: the point is this, I've commissioned opposition research before, and this is what you get. You get a lot of unsourced rumors, right? You get a lot of kind of vague stuff that it's like, this is a first cut at it. And this is the kind of thing you might want to look into. Okay. Agreed. That should never have been part of any kind of application for anything in legitimate law enforcement. That said, I refer you once again to the inspector general's report. Michael Horowitz, Republican appointed. His job was to look into this. He issued an exhaustive report and said, yes, they should not have included this in their warrant application, but that's not the reason the investigation was opened. It has nothing to do with anything. Yes, that was a mistake. The FBI shouldn't have done it, but that's a red herring. It's a nothing burger. Anyway, I just, can I go back to Paul's point for a second? Paul, you're raising a really interesting point about surveillance here, because this is like the poet Marianne Moore, who wrote that poem that referred to imaginary gardens with real toads in them. And if, remember that the whole origin of this was William Barr's attempt to whitewash Donald Trump's connections to Russia. And he launched the Durham investigation because he said, oh, there were problems here. We have to get to the bottom of this. This was all in support of trying to say O.J.'s search for the real killers on all the golf courses of America. And it turns out that this was about a substantive. And so out of this imaginary garden, this fantasy that somehow well, there was a big conspiracy that was the only reason that Donald Trump was being investigated, you might have some real toads. The Republicans are going to seize on this, and it's become their default position to oppose federal law enforcement, to oppose- No, nah,
2: no, The crazies <laughs> oppose the FBI.
0: Who's Most, running the party now?
2: They may be running the party, but you can't subscribe that nonsense like Matt Gates called out for agents to be arrested or something nonsensical today. The vast majority of Republicans have always, do always, and will always support law
0: enforcement. Okay, but who is leading the re- Republican primary right now? Binsky. And what will he do- if elected president, I'm just saying this could turn into a real thing. He might execute. I was about to say execute this plan, but he might just execute the FBI. Sure. No.
2: The, the no. majority of the No, <laughs> yeah. this isn't happening. Melissa
0: cannot deal with this. The,
2: Matt Gates does not run Congress. He has a loud voice. So does Marjorie Taylor Greene and that other wacko from Colorado. But they are in the minority. They are just a loud minority. It's not going to happen.
1: We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, like it was never going to happen that Trump would get elected president, right? Like it's never going to happen that Trump will be reelected.
0: Guess what? Paul, I actually want to hit you with this one. Over the weekend, there had to be a little bit of cleanup on Isle Biden when Joe Biden suggested that he might be open to some limitations on, I mean, guess what's traditionally called welfare, but is more accurately called food aid to poor people, specifically food stamps, TANF. Paul, what did you make of this? This got a huge backlash from congressional Democrats, the idea that there would be work requirements or other limitations on food stamps. So what was your reaction on that?
1: It's the old Republicans saw. When I was in Congress, there were a lot of stupid people talking about making poor people work harder for their food stamps. They had to work for welfare. That's been going on since Clinton and before. The Republican Party's favorite Tar- target is poor people. They want them. They make war on poor people routinely, and that's just their modus operandi. It's deep in the DNA of the Republican Party. Let's go after poor people. They're the people with the smallest voices, the weakest advocates. We'll just go after them. Previously, the president has been pretty strong about saying, no, I don't negotiate with terrorists. These Republican terrorists are simply trying to hold us hostages, or they're going to behead the American economy. I won't negotiate with them, except over the weekend, he let this slip that maybe some kind of negotiation was possible. And who do we go after? Maybe we can do something about food aid to poor people, especially when so many people are doing so well, and so many poor people are such so in need of federal aid.
2: It, no, you know, Democrats it, have shown time and time, it's time it's and powerful, time again, they don't care about middle-class America. people. They care about wealthy donors and they care about the poor because they're big voting blocks. Middle America, no one cares about. As a middle-class person, I can assure you, every time a policy comes out of a Democratic administration, I get screwed. That being said, what exactly is wrong with making an able-bodied person work before getting something from taxpayers?
1: People, actually, people want jobs. People want to work. People who are able to work want the dignity of work. And they want to- So what's the problem? The bottom line philosophical argument is that if you're poor and you need food aid, you should get the food aid.
2: I think the bottom line is we need to help those in America that cannot help themselves. And not just lump in those that don't want to help themselves, which while a very small small group of that group do exist, and it's wasting taxpayer money. And so I have no problem with a work requirement for an able-bodied individual before they receive taxpayer
0: funding. I think, Alicia, my two cents on this is that the phrase in your last sentence for able-bodied people or for people who are able to work is doing a lot of work in that sentence. I think in theory, as Paul just said, and I'm philosophically with you, and I would bet you, I haven't looked up the research on this, I would bet you that the majority of Americans as a general proposition would agree with what you just said. It it does sound reasonable that if someone's able to work, shouldn't they work in order to be qualified for benefits? That, That sounds appealing. In practice, my experience with this back when I used to work on these issues in Congress is that- The devil really is in the details. It's awfully hard when states administer these programs and these funds to determine who is able to work and who is not, what circumstances mean that someone is. So you're trying to define someone who is able-bodied, but there are all kinds of circumstances in which someone is not able to work. And what you're ultimately saying is, we're going to come up with a list of you qualify, you don't. Much of the time, states get that wrong. And at the end of the day, what you're saying is these people don't get food. And that's so at awful. the end of the day, what Our... you're
2: saying is anyone who wants to receive federal aid, whether it's food stamps, welfare, health care, all they have to do is ask for it because it's just too darn hard for government to figure out who is and is not qualified.
0: Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm not saying it's too darn hard. What I'm saying is that in practice, it has Worked very poorly when states have tried to do this, and that the end result is a bad outcome that I don't think any of us want. In practice, what ends up happening is lots of people, including lots of children, because remember, all of the children of these adults should qualify as well, end up losing out on food. And that's a hard proposition to offer. Now, look, this exact same reasoning that I'm applying to, as an objection to ten, if work requirements. I also apply to a lot of sacred cows from the Democratic side. I think a lot of big, bold programs where Democrats pour money into government programs is bad. I don't think it works for the exact same reason, because in, the devil's always in the details. And the implementation of these programs is always fraught with mistakes, errors. And what you find when you study a lot of these programs especially when you set up new programs, is they're just run poorly. The outcomes are bad, and it's not a good idea to throw lots and lots of money at things, all of which is to say, I don't object to the idea in principle, but I think Republicans have to grapple with the fact that as a broad matter, work requirements sounds good, but in practice, what you end up doing is depriving people who you do want to support, and that's a bad outcome.
2: I don't think that it has to be that way. I think the government can, should figure out a way to apply rules to people who do qualify legitimately for whatever aid the government has to give them and to not give it to those who don't. That is the responsible thing for government to do.
1: Be clear, the TANF program, for example, is a block grant to states, and states get to administer the program to help families in need. This, you've got to report everything you're doing. It's very exhaustive application process. It's limited to 60 months of lifetime help for families. And for many families, it is the difference between being out on the street and being able to get food for your family. This is not a free-for-all program, and like any government program, is there for some fraud? Sure there is. Is it fair in an overall budget discussion about taking down the U.S. and the world economy to target assistance to poor people as the place you're going to draw the line?
0: I think it is legitimate for Republicans to put this on the table. I do. It is a legitimate government program that they can talk about in the context of, here's what we're spending— I will say that in the same breath in which Republicans said, this is what we want, they also, Kevin McCarthy said that they would not go along with closing any tax loopholes for corporations, and they wouldn't go along with getting rid of a tax benefit for big mega real estate deals, which benefits guess who?
2: Oh, wait, so is the White House negotiating now with Congress? The Congress gets to pass whatever Congress I wants will to pass. S-
0: and Biden budget, can choose to veto budget, it, on even the on budget. the debt
2: ceiling. And if Biden doesn't like it, he gets to veto it. That's how this little government mm-hmm. thing works. Let him decide he's going to veto it. But Congress gets to pass what they want to pass. On the
0: budget. On,
2: on yes, anything if, that's if in Congress, their jurisdiction, which the debt Congress ceiling would is. pass
0: an increase in the debt ceiling, Joe Biden could veto that. He'd be an insane, crazy person to do, but he could. That is how the system works. It is the Congress. It is Republicans in the House. Who are withholding paying our bills, and hey, are the ones we are going to yes. decide
2: whether or not to yes. increase the debt ceiling under your yes, rules, agreed, Mr. President, agreed. or no, ours. No, and they're no, saying no. The you law. don't get to call the shots, Joe. Sorry, Joe, not on this one.
1: With the budget, they're two separate things. One deals with what we've already agreed to pay for, which the which the Congress already agreed to pay for and needs to be paid for, and the other is what we do going forward on a budget. There are many areas where the budget. We can just talk about the budget. You could put every federal program on the table, talking about the budget. At one point, when I got to Congress, I proposed an overall— I was crazy. I just to make a point. I said, "Let's just cut everything by ten percent. What the hell?" But so you could talk about that in budget talks, but you can't hold the U.S. economy and the world hostage with a straight face to budget talks. Not going to get away with the same evil that your Republican colleagues in the House are trying to perpetuate by conflating these two things.
0: I love Alicia. Actually, you see the horns growing. Dr. Can we get off this topic for a second? Because we're at an impasse, clearly. We've only got a few minutes left in the show. And I'd like to talk about another topic, this one that Alicia suggested. Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, why are we talking about an, a soon-to-be-also-ran in the Republican presidential primary because he's offering some ideas. And I would like to play a little game called kooky or thought provoking. Alicia, you're a Republican still for some reason that I can't fathom. Vivek, our friend, your boy is offering (laughs) the following ideas. Abolishing the FBI. I think we covered that one a little bit and raising the voting age to 25. Great ideas or the greatest ideas you've ever heard?
2: Oh, greatest ideas I've ever heard to thin the Republican field. That's one's a great idea to do. You know what's too bad? I was filling in for a radio show host about a week and a half ago and I had Vivek on as I was guest. there. I was there. You were there. You were a guest too. Right. Well Vivek was a guest. He was oh nice. Oh my gosh. Oh my was, gosh, you put you me were on the a same bar show. with Vivek.
1: Oh, yeah, no. you were on the with really that. reached the pantheon. Rose, <laughs> yep.
0: I want you running for Congress in the Republican <laughs> primary. What must you think of me, Alicia? Go on, go on. Uh,
2: and he was nice, optimistic. Future thinking about the future, hopeful, and then he does this town hall or conversation with a candidate thing, and all this crazy stuff comes out. He also threw out he would consider RFK Jr. as a potential running mate. I guess that's to capture the anti vax crowd because we're now just running for the crazy. Apparently, young people are too stupid to vote. The FBI is corrupt, we're going to get rid of it. Don't know who's going to be the law enforcement for federal violations, but that's okay, we'll deal with that another day. And by the way, we're gonna put a left-wing lunatic potentially on the ticket, second in line to the presidency because then I might get the anti-vaxxers. I don't understand. Now, the 25 thing is just off the rock, off the wall. Number one, it would have to be a constitutional amendment. But number two, by his, you know, because this is the argument for these things, when the constitution was written, an 18-year-old back then isn't the same as an 18-year-old today. That's absolutely true. By that standard, neither is a 35-year-old. Completely, they were like old men back then. Therefore, by Vivek's standard, if people are that different from back then than now, we have to raise all the ages to seven years. That would mean you have to be 42 years old to run for president. And Vivek Ramaswamy is 37, so he's not qualified to run for president under his standard.
0: Paul, it's a trope that young people are the foundation of the Democratic Party, alienate mm. our base. Mm. You think we should raise the voting age to 25 or higher?
1: Vivek. Vivek Robeson, the answer is no. The current voting age is just fine. Young people have a stake in this country. And by the way, statistically, de- Democrats just, it's a mythic trope that young people are the base of the Democratic Party as it happens. They're like the rest of America and the Democrats don't do as well as we should with young people. That's for another day. The voting age is fine where it is. Vivek, I'm so sorry, but thank you for your excellent ideas. You are simply, you display the intellectual prowess of the current crop of Republican candidates. Yet another wacky idea into the hall of fame of wacky ideas all right you
2: know who it will be joining in the hall of fame though and i bring this up because it was just one of my favorites and my little liberal daughter chose to not support this woman who was now our vice president when she was running for president herself when kamala harris came out with the 10-hour school day requirement this is the silliness of what candidates do out in a presidential field to get attention on themselves
0: all right i'm going to i'm going to offer some counter programming here I I applaud Vivek for offering some provocative ideas. Wrong? Sure. But you know what? He has the boldness to offer some new ideas. Bad. And we're talking about them. Sure. And here we are talking about them. And you know what? We will come back to talk more about them next week, but we're going to have to wrap it up. For Paul and Alicia. I'm Matt Robeson. We'll see
2: you next time.